All right, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the Stack Strength Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Daniel DeBrock. And today, uh, we've got a new guest on, Sebastian Oreb. Oreb, am I saying that correctly? Perfect. Okay, beautiful. So first off, thanks so much for jumping on, man. It's it's awesome to have you here. I've checked out a lot of your stuff for many, many years now, so it's great to actually be able to connect face-to-face. Can you give a, a brief introduction for yourself for those who maybe aren't familiar with you and some of your work? For sure, man. Firstly, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, my name is Sebastian Oreb, uh, as you said correctly first time, which no one ever does. Uh, other people also know me as the Australian strength coach. Actually, people know me better that way because I guess that's what we do with, this, with uh, social media these days. Uh, we address people by the, their Instagram handles. Um, and uh, I've been in the game for about 20 years now starting off as a personal trainer for just general population whoever would pay me uh and then i, I kind of got into martial arts myself and uh, a bit of strength training and i was never really so great at martial arts but i knew a lot of the martial artists so i kind of thought um you know to to increase my my game in in uh, in the strength world i'd like to offer my services to my martial artist friends uh this was before i was a powerlifter and um this was probably about eight years into my career so that was about 12 years ago and i knew a few uh, professional martial artists in australia and i started coaching them and, and just through that i became known in in my area as the as the go-to guy for training the pros um now this was all sponsorship work as well so i wasn't getting paid for that all of my money came from training general population clients and uh you know soon uh, one one professional athlete became two became three and then it uh, became my entire business, to be honest with you. Uh, majority of the people that I see face-to-face are professional athletes. And that kind of came from, I guess it was just by default, just just from work, putting myself out there and working with, with professionals. Um, but yeah, as I said, my first athletes were martial artists, uh, MMA fighters, professional boxers, um, before it got into powerlifting. Now, powerlifting was a sport that I was training but never really competed. So I thought... You know, if I want to improve my reputation as a coach, I'm going to start competing uh, so I can, you know, walk the talk, which I think is important for coaches to, to be able to have uh, to an extent, of course. And uh, yes, yeah, so I started competing, not at a very high level. I was a 93 kilogram lifter. My first competition, I think it was about uh, 12 years ago. And my total, I don't know how to say it in pounds, but it was 630 kilograms, which is not really good. Uh, but I was proud of it at the I time. I kilos, kilos here as well. So right. Worries. Okay. Yeah. So 630 kilograms uh, as a 93 kilogram lifter. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I thought it was good at the time. And uh, basically everything was good at the time because I was only comparing myself to, to people in my hometown, uh, which was not very good. My ceiling was very low. Uh, and then when I started powerlifting like this, I, I realized that I enjoyed it and I wanted to be actually good at it. And I started exploring what was actually good. And that's when I started learning that that I, I had a long way to go. And I, I to be honest, I thought it was actually uh, impossible to achieve any of the, the numbers that I'm able to achieve these days. Uh, but back then I looked at those numbers and I thought, uh, it's just, it's literally impossible for me to, to get as much uh, better to compete against these, these world-class athletes, that's for sure. Um, uh, but I still needed to, to be good at my job. That was my main focus. I wanted to be a great strength coach. And, and I knew the importance, the value of practicing what I preached. And so I just stuck with it. And I just kept on uh, inching away and, and, and focusing on just getting a little bit better at a time. 
and I guess uh, it's the magic formula. Uh, consistency, effort, and, and 10 years <laughs> does wonders. And, uh, you know, in that time, I was able to get myself a lot stronger. And um, in that time, I met some pretty amazing athletes as well. So it wasn't just limited to fighters. Uh, I then moved on to, of course, powerlifters, but also uh, professional rugby players. In Australia, rugby is uh, the, the main sport. You guys say football, and that's talking about uh, a different type of football to us. We talk about rugby league. Uh, and uh, so I trained some of the highest profile rugby players in Australia. Uh, and then and then uh, I guess the, the pinnacle moment in my career was 2016, meeting Hafthor Bjornsson. Uh, he came to Australia to do a seminar, to do a job with, with a company called SodaStream. And uh, they asked if I could uh, run a seminar with him. Uh, of course, <laughs> I jumped to the opportunity. Uh, and then after a day of holding the seminars with, with Thor, he asked me to be his coach, um, which, which blew me off my feet because I, I thought these, these guys that are so big and strong are, are simply uncoachable. Um, but, you know, of course, I jumped to the occasion. I, I jumped to the opportunity and I, um, I said, whatever it takes, man, let's do it. And uh, the first uh, piece of uh, work that I did with him was actually traveling over to, to Bangkok where he trained for the world's strongest man in uh, in 2016, which was the world's strongest man was in, in Botswana, but he was actually in the middle of a job, which was filming for the movie. I don't know if you know the movie Kickboxer, the originals with uh, Jean Claude Van Damme. Oh, uh, this yeah. this oh. is me showing my age. It's a really old movie, and uh, anyway, they did an entire remake of it where where Van Damme wasn't the the, the main uh, fighter; he was the coach. And the main fighter had to go up against uh, all of the famous fighters. You know, they had uh, Fabricio Werdum, they had uh, uh, Vandalay Silva, they had Mike Tyson, they had Georges St. Pierre, they had uh, some of the best fighters in the world. And one of the bad guys in it was, was Thor Bjornsson. So I came with him to train as well as help him on his, uh, during his work, which is it's pretty extensive work uh, being an actor. And so I was kind of like feeding him in, in between his takes and making sure that uh, he was getting all the right nutrition and the right training in during his work so that he could uh, he could train for 2016 World's Strongest Man. Uh, 2018, he became World's Strongest Man. And um, this is when when he and I kind of went into business with each other. I mean, you know, we, we all, always opened opportunities, but as he became the World's Strongest Man, this is when we released our first products together, which was uh, to be coached by Half Thor and I. And um, yeah, and that, that was very successful and it did a lot of great things for my career, my reputation. Um, within that time, and even before then, I've also been educating. I've been running strength seminars in Australia. And then when I started working with Thor, actually in 2016, um, was my first time that I traveled internationally and uh, held seminars. The first place was in UK. That was at the same time. Remember when Eddie Hall first deadlifted 500 kilograms? That was at Europe's Strongest Man 2016. That was my first international seminar that I held, um, which was in uh, Manchester. Uh, sorry, London. And um, yeah, and then from then, I've just been, uh, I guess, uh, focusing on multiple facets of my business as an online coach, uh, still for the masses, as in general population as well. I do work with a lot of high-level athletes face-to-face. Um, I'm an educator, uh, both face-to-face -face and online. Um, and also, uh, yeah, lo lots of other bits and pieces with other, uh, other collaborations with other people. And, and I guess uh, that's, that's summing up my work uh, from 20 years ago up until this moment. Awesome, man. Yeah, so obviously you've been in the game for a very, very long time. Um, 
So recently, actually, or I guess, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, in 2022, you were retired from powerlifting. Is that right? Yeah, that was kind of a little bit of an upsetting moment as a bit by default. Um, you know, I was training for a competition that never happens because of COVID. And uh, yeah, I, I just kept on training for this event and trying to peak. And there was a, a, a date that was set. And, and as everyone knows, the, the, the uncertainty of COVID lockdowns just, you know, it, it, it changed a lot of things for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you'd know a lot about this, but it's impossible to hold a peak uh, in strength for a long period of time. Uh, so I was actually real strong, <laughs> really strong when I retired. Um, you know, and I don't want to say retired like I'm some type of professional athlete. It's, it's a, you know, we know what powerlifting is about. It's, it's a, it's a, I'm a big fish in a small pond. You know, unfortunately, the, the athletes in powerlifting aren't paid like the athletes in NBA or, or, uh soccer or, or any of the major sports in the world so so being good at powerlifting is only kind of like it, it's good for us strength enthusiasts um so when i say i retired from the sport it's like it was it wasn't a huge deal for me um i mean it was because it's what i love doing uh but yeah i, I retired uh, mainly because i had so many commitments with family with business uh, and the main thing is for me to be strong you know i look at a lot of gifted athletes that that uh you know that they don't have to try as hard as what i did but but damn i tried hard uh you know i put i put 20 years into into being as strong as what i got uh and there still wasn't uh the best in the world obviously um but to be actually good and competitive and to lift the numbers that i was lifting it was a full-time job for me and what that meant was i was only able to commit to certain periods of time where i could say you know i could i could turn my back somewhat from my business and and from my family and really focus on 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 powerlifting you know so i had to make sure like i was training most of my training sessions took about two hours uh, and a lot of the times i would split up my training two times per day which would be uh you know a total like because i spend a lot of time on warming up uh and and my nutrition it just takes up the entire day uh and to do this was a very selfish time for me and and it's great because i had a lot of support around me my wife um, my business partners and, and all the people that worked for me were able to, to carry my business during this time. But there's only so long that I could do this. And I was really hoping to, to put 20 weeks into a prep, which ended up being 40 weeks, which ended up being 60 weeks. Uh, and then I just got sick of it. <laughs> uh, it was like the competition that never happened, uh, unfortunately. So I just said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. And I just stopped. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if that's permanent. The last time I went to a competition, uh, which was uh, maybe about three months ago, I definitely was experiencing some major FOMO. I was looking around at the guys in my weight class thinking, damn, I know I'd do well in this competition. Maybe one more last competition. But at, at, at this time, I'd have to say uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm probably about six months away if I wanted to really put the time into it, six months away from being back to my peak strength again. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. And so one of the things that I wanted to ask about that was, I know that when I stopped boxing in Muay Thai, like way, way back in 2010 or 2011 or something like that, that was my entire life. Like I go to training yep. three hours in the morning, I go to work and then I train three hours at night. And I did that seven days a week. I had yep. zero rest days. And that a lot of people think that's crazy from powerlifting, but in fighting, that's very common that people just train seven days a week and they don't take a day off. Sure. Uh, and I remember when I stopped, 
I literally just didn't know what to do in my life. Like I'd go, I'd go home from work and I'd just sit and wait. I'm like, I guess I'm just waiting for the next day. And it was such a huge part of my identity that it took me quite a while to actually, you know, I was quite young at the time, which is probably, you know, didn't help, but uh, it took me a long time to really figure out who I was, I guess, outside of power, sorry, out of, outside of uh, fighting. And so I was wondering how that transition's kind of gone for you. I know you said you're maybe not necessarily out permanently, but, you know, even still shifting into that, hey, you know what, at the very least, I'm taking a step away for now. Um, that does tend to be a pretty big thing. And so how has that transition kind of uh, affected you mentally and how has that affected your identity? What are some of the struggles you've kind of, uh, if any, I guess? Yeah, it's such a great question. And, and of course, there, there are many struggles and it's something that I've never really discussed with anyone because... I've never really been asked these questions, especially by someone who, who I guess understands it. But but yeah, for sure, man, that was my my identity. I was a powerlifter. That's what I lived and breathed. You know, I'm lucky that I've got a lot of um, high-level athletes surrounding me, so I can still live in that world. Um, and I'm still coaching some of the, the strongest guys out there, guys and girls out there, um, which which allows me to still, you know, fulfill my purpose in life but but yeah man it's it is it's heartbreaking um you know just knowing that ah uh, every time i step under that barbell uh it feels a lot heavier now <laughs> you know like uh you know i was i was at a high level in untested federations and there's a lot of things that go with that um and, and uh, that's all stopped as well so uh, uh, another reason why i stopped was was health related as well i wanted to make sure you know, I, I turned 40 years old and, um, you know, and I know that there are some incredible athletes out there that, that have continued into their 50s and beyond. Um, but there's also a lot of people that, that haven't. Uh, and it wasn't by their choice either. Some people's lives have ended short um, well before the, they were due. And it's a pretty sad, it's a sad thing. So, you know, I'm a father of two girls. And so I kind of, my, my life purpose has shifted a lot. So although it's 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 really upsetting, um, you know, to stop doing the sport that I love, it's it's definitely I I do have, um, you know, my, I, I can rest easy knowing that I'm doing it for the right reasons. Uh, but yeah, man, you hit the nail on the head. I come into the gym and it's like oh, I'm not training for anything right now. Uh, and and when people ask me how my training's going, it's it's definitely not as enjoyable as what it used to be. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen a video of me throwing my belt across the room when I missed the lift. Uh, that's how it used to be. I really used to take it seriously. Um, and I look back at that and I, and I don't have that passion anymore because I'm not training for anything. But I loved having that passion. As, as shitty as that looked when I threw my belt and I got angry, you know, I like to think that I've matured a lot since then, uh, you know, because I know that's pretty shitty to be around when, when people uh, throw, throw tantrums when, they're, when they miss lifts in the gym. But, but that's how much I loved it. Uh, and now it's just not that same passion. If I miss the lift now, it's like, who cares? Uh, I don't really care. But, but yeah, for sure, man. I, you know, look behind me. I own this place. This is a, this is my gym, and uh, this is this is my life. This is twenty years of of me collecting all of the best equipment that you can get. Well, for me personally, like all of the the machines and and dumbbells and barbells and plates and everything was was at the time that I purchased everything was was what I was always wanting to own when I was younger, growing up and saying, wow, you know, look at the competition gear. I'd love to own that one day. Look at those dumbbells. They're the best. I'd love to own that one day. And then finally, I, I was able to, to chip away. This was probably over about seven years of just collecting all of the best gym equipment um, until I, I now own everything. So 
you know, it's like what they say, all the gear and no idea. So now it's like, I've got everything here and I come in to train and it's just not the same. Uh, but at the same time, training is still part of my life. I understand that there's so many more benefits to training than just, you know, being great at powerlifting. Uh, so so I, I make sure it's not about motivation because that doesn't exist uh, at the moment. Uh, it's about discipline. And I guess that's a topic that a lot of people are, have covered a lot, you know, especially at the highest level. You can't possibly be motivated that whole time. It's And that's not why we do it. We do it because we want to be great. Uh, so I understand that. And, and 20 years of training this way, I've, I've developed a lot of great habits that just say, it doesn't matter if I'm not feeling good, still going to do it anyway. Um, but for sure, man, from a mental standpoint, it, it hurts. It definitely hurts. And, and um, I, I wish I could still say, yeah, I'm, I'm as strong as what I've always been. Um, and I'm still, I'm training for, for a purpose. I'm going to compete soon. Uh, that would be amazing. But, you know, I've, I've got other things now, so I just need to accept it. And I have accepted it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely tough. But I mean, it, it definitely makes sense as well that, you know, if you have other things going on in your life, like you've got a really successful business, you have a family, you have daughters. Um, it sounds like you've got a really strong social network, which I think can be something that's really, really important when you are transitioning. Because I mean, at the time that I was done, I didn't have, I mean, I was a young kid, so obviously I didn't have a business, I didn't have anything, but also I didn't really have any friends because everything that I was doing was um, was just fighting. And so it sounds yep. like, well, this is kind of transitioning for you. You have a lot of other really amazing things that are already cemented to kind of fill the gap or fill the void, so to speak, which is which is pretty awesome. But um, I wanted to uh, I wanted to to touch on a couple of things actually that you mentioned. You did touch on health, and I remember reading a, an article of yours from like way back in 2020 where you talked about kind of how people like to dichotomize health versus performance, and you know, the reality is like, okay, well, if you're healthy, then you can train longer. And if you train longer, you're probably going to be better. So, you know, why are we kind of having these conversations about like them not being the same thing? And and I wanted to, I guess, just get your feedback. And if you could expand on that kind of idea, because it's something that a lot of people talk about, but I think it's a little bit narrow sighted when they, when they usually discuss it. For sure. And it's a really fine line between the two, because I, I still believe that, uh, you know, with extreme sports, which is what I consider high-level strength sports, I do consider it extreme. Uh, the things that high-level athletes put themselves through to be the best, it, it does push those boundaries. Uh, and it definitely can become unhealthy. And, and and a lot of the times, it is unhealthy. But something that I've seen, and I have I've been fortunate enough to say that I've worked with some of the strongest athletes on the planet, is... You know, there's people that come and go, you know, they're in it for a short time and they, uh, let's talk about steroid use, you know, they, they just pump as much as they can uh, for, for uh, you know, the time that they're competing and, and they want to get stronger, they pump more juice. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I believe that the best athletes, the ones that have been doing it the longest, actually don't take as much gear as, as the ones that are kind of like just came out of nowhere and they're young and energized and uh, you know, they're, they're just taking so much steroids to get into where they are, but it's not long lived. Um, they're not able to sustain that level of, of, of poor health because it's not healthy uh, to take uh, the amount of uh, performance enhancements that a lot of people, not, not everyone, but a lot of people do take um, and, and a better approach 
and and this is you know like i've experienced this firsthand not just with my athletes but with myself as well you want it so bad it's like you're, you're willing to do everything that it takes and you do a lot of stupid things uh and had i had my time again i think that i would have done it a lot slower um and uh you know and this is this was definitely where i was in the last especially uh i'd say the last five to seven years and that's when i really started excelling um as a power lifter was when i slowed down everything and stopped thinking that i need to have it now um and started understanding the benefits of longevity and uh and realizing that if we stop and it's not just i don't want to just talk about steroid use i i guess that's the the best way to illustrate how this sport can be unhealthy um, but it's also, you know, training methodologies when people try and beat themselves up too much in the gym. I see it all the time and I'm a culprit of it as well, uh, trying to hit numbers that you just have no right putting on the bar and, uh, you know, failing lifts all the time <clears throat> and, uh, you know, causing injuries. And this is one of the biggest uh, downfalls of a lot of lifters is as it comes to competition time, when they set too many dates to compete, uh, they want these certain numbers. They have these numbers in their heads and they're unrealistic about their goals. And, uh, it, it, you know, I'm not saying these numbers are impossible to, in, impossible to achieve eventually, but in the short time frame that, that athletes have given themselves, uh, you know, wanting to compete and wanting to come first and wanting to beat the best. Um, and, and a lot of the numbers that they're attempting, um, th this is what's causing failed lifts and this is what's causing a lot of injuries. So it's not just health to the body. Uh, as in, you know, health to your heart and your arteries and, and your brain, uh, you know, health to your joints and your muscles as well. So a lot of people are forced out of the sport because, you know, they went too hard, too fast and they injured themselves. So everything that I'm about, you know, I'm, I'm 41 years old now and, and I do, uh, I, I am very lucky that I can say that I'm friends with a lot of people that uh, are as old and older than me and are stronger than me and have been doing it for longer than me. And these are some of the trends that that uh, these people can talk about, and um, you, you know is is the long game, and that's the only reason these people are able to be as good as what they are is because they've been able to to be smart enough uh, to put the time into it, and and yeah, and if you don't factor in health with that equation, um, it's not going to work. Something's going to break. Uh, you know, hopefully it's not your heart. Hopefully it's not your arteries. Hopefully it's not your brain. You know. Uh, it's it's a better case scenario to say tearing a muscle or injuring a joint, uh, but at the same time, this is what my focus is now. Is whenever I work with people, health is at the forefront, and and I think that uh, that should be a lot of everyone's priorities when it comes to long term success in anything. Actually, yeah, I think that's really really important, and um, I mean, a lot of the times when I hear people talking about PEDs people will say it as if it's like uh, some sort of cheat code and they'll be like, oh, well, they're using PEDs and so they can just kind of do what they can eat, whatever they want. They can train as, you know, suboptimally as they want. But it's like, in my opinion, it's actually the opposite. It's like, if you use PEDs, you have to be more dialed in with your nutrition. You have to be more dialed in with everything because yeah. Yeah. the risk goes up so much higher. And so a lot of the guys that I know who do use PEDs, and granted, that's obviously like selection bias, just because the people I know obviously are probably going to have more similar values to myself, but they're pretty cautious about their use and they don't really abuse it. And they make sure they eat really healthy and they have all of these other things lined up. So like they don't drink, they don't do like recreational drugs. They don't do any of these other things. They wash their diet, they wash their stress, they do cardiovascular training to make sure they're healthy. So it's like, it's a whole lifestyle around it, not just like this little cheat code that you can use to 
sort of bypass all the effort and work. And so, yeah, it's, it's interesting the perception of it until you get on drugs sometimes and then you're like, oh shit, <laughs> this is, it's, it's not what I thought necessarily. So uh, yeah, no. That yeah, was yeah, man. And that's, you're so right with everything that you're saying. Um, and, and unfortunately, it's because the topic is taboo uh, that people don't speak about it enough, unfortunately. Uh, and I've, I've uh, been part of that as well because I've never wanted to get the wrong message across, especially to children. Um, you know, I've worked with some pretty high, high profile athletes and there's a lot of young children that are so heavily influenced by these people. Um, and, and when they hear that there is use of steroids, it's, it's heartbreaking for these kids, which is why I, I, a lot of people that know me, they know that I don't like to speak about this topic a lot because I don't want to give the wrong message across. Um, but, you know, that's, that's to its detriment as well, because there needs to be more people that that spread the message that it's not just something that you can just take more drugs and, and just keep on getting better. There, there are consequences to this. And, and that's right. The good guys actually know this. They are aware and it, it is catching on that, you know, uh, you know, burning the candle at both ends, just not going to work. So, so going and taking your performance enhancements uh, supplementation and then going out and partying at the same time, that's just not how it works. So, so it, it is a good topic that it, it needs to be discussed, especially by, by experts in this field, which by no means do I think I'm an expert when it comes to, um, you know, th this type of topic. Um, I do have experience with working with people on this, and, and I think that's it's something that needs to be uh, discussed more so, so people are aware more juice isn't better. Um, you know, that's, that's actually the, the opposite. Learning how to, to do it properly is, is I guess, something that the world needs to be educated on. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely agree, man. So I guess shifting gears, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, training raw versus training with wraps. So how do you approach transitioning an athlete from raw to wraps? Because like I've seen athletes who will be squatting like 150 kilos in wraps. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like you need to be squatting like a good 300 kilos in my, you know, I'm thinking of like, let's say a, I don't know, hundred or 120 kilo athlete, you know? And yeah. I'm like, you should be squatting at least 300 kilos before you're thinking about transitioning to wraps in my opinion. Yep. But like, yep. Do you have any guidelines on, you know, at what point you, you um, might want to transition? What some of the fundamentals that need to be, or some of the, the boxes that need to be checked off prior and then how you actually go about transitioning athletes? It's interesting because uh, there's not really any absolutes that I use, you know, like you need to hit a certain number before we can transition to anything. But the fact is, even for my for my wrapped lifters, we do majority of our work raw. Um, you know, to be strong in equipment, you need to be strong without equipment first uh, and during as well. A lot of the times people develop so many weak points and in injuries because they, they transition to equipment exclusively in their training, um, which... You know, too much specificity is not a good thing. Specificity, you know, even when we're talking about without equipment, specificity alone doesn't strengthen all of the attributes you need to be good at that sport, okay, which is why we need variation and we need to periodize. We need to understand these concepts. Um, but when it comes to wraps, for myself personally, the only reason I started with wraps is because all of the good competitions in Australia were with wraps. So I am... Um, the first time I held an Australian record was with sleeves. Um, you know, it wasn't very big. It was in the 90 kilogram class. I think the total was 730 kilograms, 770. I don't even know what it was. It wasn't amazing. 
And, um, you know, one of the, the owners of the other, feder one of the federations, the Wrapped Federation came up to me and said, uh, why, didn't you go why didn't you use Wraps? You would have got the record there. And I thought, well, I don't care about the record there. That's not real. Like, I, I was kind of like on the team where Wraps are cheating and, and it doesn't count, man. This is raw strength. I don't, I don't give a shit about, about that. Until uh, it came to a point where literally the best athletes in, in my country, the strongest athletes, were, were, were competing in the competition where they use knee wraps. So at that point, my, my squat was 260 kilograms raw. Um, and then I attempted wraps for the first time. This was in 2014. Uh, and I had uh, really great guidance for the use, which was uh, Ernie Lillibridge Sr. He was the one that taught me how to squat. Uh, and, and a lot of the, the, the training principles and programming principles behind it, as well as how to wrap knees. And the first time I, I wrapped my knees, I could squat 260 kilograms raw. Uh, when I added wraps, I attempted 265 kilograms and I missed it. Um, and that's because you can't just expect to put, add wraps and all of a sudden you're a better lifter. There's, there's a lot that goes into the, the technique of using wraps. Um, and that's a lot of the things that I teach. Um, but for me, if I never competed in wrapped competition, I would have never used wraps. Uh, the only reason I did it was was to to compete with the best athletes. You know, I'm very competitive by nature. Um, but if people come to me and they they don't compete, I, I won't recommend wraps uh, because I I think that it's not how you strengthen your body optimally. Uh, I don't think that it makes you weaker. I think that there is definitely ways of of using wraps and and. And, uh, you know, periodizing your wrapped work uh, to, to get the most out of your training. But but I'll never use wraps exclusively with anyone. Uh, when it comes to how strong do you need to be, I don't really have a strength standard. You know, I'm more about training morale. So when people come to me, um, you know, young athletes come to me and they say, I, I want to compete, you know, because they, you know, out of the enjoyment, um, you know, we'll figure out, we'll first figure out what competitions are suitable for these athletes. And if they're an absolute beginner and they're looking to to do wrapped competition, I still don't have a number. I guess a lot of these things come intuitively because I've been doing it so long where I'll, I'll be able to recommend when someone's ready or not. And I don't think it's just about how strong that they are. Um, you know, I've got I've got girls that, that have uh, wanted to introduce wraps and, and they're not strong. Um, a lot of the girls that I'm talking about, I'm, when I say not strong, I'm talking in absolute terms they're still able to squat triple body weight. I'm talking about 50 kilogram girls that can squat, you know, 140, 150 kilograms that are looking to transition in wraps. That's definitely strong enough. So it's not the number. Um, I guess from a percentage standpoint, triple body weight squat is pretty damn elite. Um, but I still don't have values for that. I, I guess I just know when someone's ready, when they they've understand the they understand the fundamentals and and proper proper squatting technique, understand how to stay tight under load, how to brace how to control a weight um, and, and, you know, and, and they prioritize these things. You know, it's, it's a lot more about maturity as a lifter and understanding of technique than exactly how much number they have on the bar. Um, of course, it comes into play, but I, I just don't have those exact values. That's all. Right. Yeah. So I guess I should have been a little bit more clear. I, a lot of the times I'll use kind of general strength as a broad way to you for know, sure evaluate that as kind of a proxy for their technical ability experience things like that but no that, that definitely makes sense and so um can you talk a little bit about variation then because you touched on it there as well but uh, in terms of utilizing variation in in training whether it's wrapped unwrapped whatever um to 
one, like help progress people in strength, but then two, also to help people uh, just enhance their, their injury risk management protocol. So enhance their orthopedic health and things like that. Totally. So this is a huge priority with, with all of my long-term coaching. Um, I guess one word that I use to sum up everything is balance. So unfortunately, when it comes to peaking for competition, you're going to be extremely unbalanced with your approach to training. You're going to be very specific. You're going to be mastering the skills of your sport. You're going to be mastering the equipment that you use. Uh, and, and this creates a lot of the imbalances, which means uh, in the off-season, further away from competition, we want to be working on the attributes that we can't develop through specificity. Okay, so balance is a word that I say. It's like kind of in line with perfection. It's something that you'll never achieve, but it doesn't mean you're not working towards it. So when it comes to balance, uh, I have my own formulas. It's very simplistic formulas. It's a one-to-one -one ratio, and it applies for everything. So with our, our belted training, we do 50% of our work belted, 50% unbelted. With our knee wrap training, we do 50% of our squats with wraps, 50% without. Um, with our, our exercise prescription, we do 50% upper body, 50% lower body, 50% push, 50% pull. Um, so these are very generalized numbers. You can never be exact with, with any of this. Um, but if you have a, a general understanding, um, then, then it's, it's pretty easy to see that if we're spending 100% of our time during competition uh, doing you know, the specific lifts with equipment and, and with a belt and with knee wraps and, and uh, with the specific techniques, like such as a low bar squat and a sumo deadlift, if that's the, the, the competition style, you know, that's 100% of our work is, is there in the last, you know, month or two or whatever the peaking duration is, then we need to spend a little bit longer, a little bit more time on, on being unbalanced in the other direction. So, so spending no time with wraps, spending no time with the belt, spending no time on the exact competition lifts and using pure variation, um, it, you know, further away from competition. And, and every lifter is different. It's not like we have an exact formula that says, you know, when you're eight weeks out, you need to be doing, you know, this much specificity, this percentage. Uh, those percentages don't really work. Uh, and we've also got some athletes that, that like to keep some degree of specificity as they're further away from competition. But it's just something that uh, as an overlying principle is, is understanding balance. So uh, with a bench press, this is barbell work from a horizontal plane. So, so we also like to use 50% of our, of our planes on our upper body training in the horizontal and 50% in the vertical. Uh, a lot of the, the, the upper body pressing work is with a barbell. So we like to use 50% of our work with barbell, 50% with dumbbells. Again, these figures aren't exact. It's, it's pretty impossible to, to be exact and to be perfect uh, with any of these values, uh, but it's a general overview. So um, I've got an, I guess it's an eight kind of exercise category model. Okay, so, so four of the exercise categories are upper body, four are in the lower body. The upper body is uh, horizontal push-pull. That's two, and then vertical push-pull. The lower body, so we kind of do... You know, our upper body work is is 25% on each of those categories. Our lower body work, we've got the squat pattern and we've got knee dominant squat variations. And squats aren't limited to barbells on the back. We've also got machines that allow it. We've also got unilateral variations that allow a knee dominant squat pattern. Uh, and then 50% of that squat work is hip dominant squat patterns. So so to generalize it, you could say a low bar squat is, is hip dominant, even though the knee extensors are involved. Uh, and a high bar squat is more knee dominant, even though the hip extensors are more involved. So this is another reason why it can't be 
perfect um, because just because you're doing a hip dominant variation doesn't mean you're not training the knee extensors. And then we've got the bend pattern or the posterior chain, which I split up into two categories. One is hip extension and the other is knee flexion. So, so the, the four for the lower body is knee dominant squat, hip dominant squat, uh, hip extension, posterior chain, knee flexion. Uh, and 25% will go into each of those categories. So if we break it up into eight categories, we've got 12.5% on each of those categories, uh, just as a general formula. You know, and then just ha having that in the back of our mind, I don't have a, a checklist where we say, you know, we, we've, we've already hit 10%, so we were only allowed, you know, a certain amount of percentage. That, that's not how it works. It's just a general guideline that sits over the top of my head when I'm considering someone's long-term uh, long programming. Um, as we're further away from competition, it's more varied. As we're closer to competition, it's more specific. And in between, we kind of like mash it in so that we get a, a balanced amount of all of these uh, uh, categories um, so that at the end of the competition time, you're not so imbalanced that you're causing injuries or you're, you're causing too many weak points. Weak points are often what causes uh, the injuries. Uh, and, and this is where I've been pretty successful with I follow these principles for all sports. So something that I learned from um, a fellow by the name of Al Vermeil, he was the uh, the strength coach for the Chicago Bulls in the Michael Jordan era. He was also the strength coach for San Francisco 49ers when they won one of their championships. He's the only coach on the planet that has that holds two championship rings from different sports, high-level sports we're talking about. And uh, something that I learned from an interview that I heard from him is he was asked the question on how he trains his different athletes differently to he, to each other. So these athletes are more team sport athletes rather than strength sports, which is what I specialize in. But the same rules apply. And the question that was asked was, how does he train them differently? And his answer was that he doesn't actually train them differently. The objective of all of these athletes was essentially to get there the fastest with the most. So his job as a strength coach uh, isn't to think about how they're going to be throwing a ball or kicking a goal or, or any of these specific skills. That's up to the skills coach. His job is to get the to get his athletes moving well, to be strong, and to be free from injury. Um, you know, and, and understanding this allowed me to work with uh, athletes of all different sports. And when athletes like Thor Bjornsson came to me and said, <laughs> "Will you be my coach?" It's like. I know I've got what it takes. I'm not a strong man. I've never coached a strong man athlete. I'm relying on, and I was very lucky that he was very gifted in strongman events. Um, but where I helped him majorly was in splitting up his training. So it was a more balanced approach so that it wasn't a lot of the strong men out there at the highest level, especially they do focus a lot on event work, which is a very intelligent way of training because the events <laughs> that's, that's where strong man is at. Um, but that's, structural balance isn't factored into that training and it was the addition of, of that type of work with thor that allowed him to excel and i just knew that i didn't have to try and, and and reinvent the wheel whenever i work with professional athletes as i said i work with footballers and i'm and i'm not a footballer uh, i've worked with all types of martial artists yeah you know like i dabble in martial arts but i'm not good uh, i'm definitely um, not competent enough to to step in the ring or be a professional by any means um but I still understand that my objective isn't to teach these athletes how to play their sport. My objective is to get their body strong, moving well and free from injury. And then it's up to the skills coach to work on, on the specificity that's required. The only sport that I'm really good at with the specificity component is powerlifting. 
um, because that is my sport. Uh, but apart from that, that's the principles that I've used very successfully. Uh, and that's where I know that if any athlete came to me and asked if I can get them stronger, the answer is, hell yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Following those principles uh, and, and really keeping it simple. So, so when I first, uh, remember I said my first athlete was a martial artist. The first things that I did, I, I was very intimidated by this guy because he was, a, he was my first professional athlete. So I thought, wow, I need to really come up with something special and, and, uh, and wow, this client of mine. And so I had him doing all sorts of snatches and clean and jerks and, and all of these power movements that I'd never performed in my life. But I just thought that this is how you need to train if you're going to be a pro. You're going to train like a pro, uh, which was so damn wrong because um, these athletes aren't good at weightlifting movements. You know, training with weights is generally not what uh, uh, team sport athletes or martial artists are good at. They're good at their sport. Um, so, so it took me a long time to understand that keeping it simple with these principles, so following those basic movement patterns, um, was a much more successful approach. And, and working towards achieving structural balance by splitting it up into those eight categories was my, uh, was my number one tool for maintaining balance across the entire training year. And that's, that's worked very successfully for me, for, for all of the athletes that I train. Yeah, it's funny because I think a lot of the times, um, especially strength coaches who are kind of limited to, let's say, powerlifting or weightlifting or even strongman, but to a lesser degree, I guess, you kind of forget that lifting, like, because for us, lifting is the sport, like our training is the sport, yep. whereas for other athletes, you know, because I, I, I remember, I'm not sure if you saw this, but forever ago, there was like a video of Usain Bolt doing power cleans that went viral and it just mm. looked horrendous. Mm. And everyone's like, oh my God, like if he just learned how to clean properly, he'd be even faster. And I'm like, even he faster than the fastest man on the planet. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, yep. you really want to redirect all of his training and recovery resources at something that is not fucking important almost at all. Like he just needs to do the action. That's, that's good enough. And yep. I think sometimes that's lost. But um, I guess to, <laughs> to kind of get off of this tangent, um, I wanted to get your your perspective on uh, a little bit more of like the soft skills of, of coaching because realistically we're not just dealing with like input and output equations you know people have stuff that goes on in their lives whether it's like you know COVID-19 and how that affected people losing their jobs getting a raise all sorts of you know good and bad things and I wanted to know how you go about coaching people through some of those kind of ups and downs how you keep them engaged how you might have some of those conversations when things are going well, when things aren't going well, and how you kind of keep them, I guess, you know, disciplined and staying consistent throughout those, I guess, just throughout life. Yeah, that's such a such an important factor to consider when we want someone's long-term success is external stresses. And, and as you've put it, uh, you know, the soft side of coaching, um, it's, it's so hugely important. And it's, you know, a lot of people are very invested in, in learning about programming principles and physiology and anatomy and, and all of these really important facets of being a great coach and being a great athlete. But that's only a small portion because we're dealing with people. And, uh, you know, training with weights is a stressor. Uh, and the body doesn't recognize, you know, when it's, when it's taking on too many stresses, uh, you know, it doesn't recognize where it's coming from. And eventually, if you've, if you've taken too much, something's going to break. So as much as we promote 
the benefits of, of strength training and training with you know resistance training uh, it, it can be detrimental to the individual's health if there are other stresses that we're not we're not dealing with at the same time so so yeah emotional stress financial stress um you know relationship stress uh there's all of these factors can impact the way that we perform in the gym now here's the skill as a coach what skill must you possess a lot of the times especially when we're working with a new athlete a lot of those topics are none of our damn business <laughs> so to ask an athlete uh, you know, when you first start working with them, you know, how they're going emotionally, how they're going financially and, and all of these factors, they may not be so comfortable, uh, you know, sharing these details with us. So, you know, above all else, whenever I'm working with, with any of my clients, you know, what one of my objectives is to become their friend. Um, and of course, it's not by being forceful and, and telling people we need to go and hang out and we need to, you know, I, I, I need to get in, in contact with your family and, and make sure that everything is right. You know, of course, it happens organically just by being a good person and understanding, you know, having people skills, having good conversation skills. Um, you know, in the meantime, another analogy that I like to use that's that's a lot more obvious is working with a female during their menstrual cycle. Um, you know, a lot of people ask the question, do we need to factor that in and do we need to train them differently? Are, are women stronger or weaker at different phases of their menstrual cycle? And my answer to that is, I don't fucking know. <laughs> and a lot of the women that I work with don't want to share that, that information with me either. So, so, so therefore, what do I do? I can ask, and, and a lot of people work this way. You ask people how they're feeling for the day, and a lot of the times people are just going to respond with, yeah, I'm feeling good, uh, you know, even though they may not be. So something, uh, a principle that I have when it comes to programming, when it comes to training someone face-to-face -face is, is understanding the principle that you need to earn the right to add weight to the bar. So... I'll use the number, for example, if I'm going to squat 300 kilograms for the day, I know how 100 kilograms should look and feel. Of course, I can squat 100 kilograms in my sleep, but some days it's harder than other days. Uh, you know, And then I'll know how each increment should look and feel after that. And if it's not there for the day, then it's just not there. And we don't have to be so rigid in sticking to the exact program that's been prescribed. And, and this is how I work with with a lot of people with their external stresses when they are not able to communicate those stresses with me. Sometimes people aren't aware of, of whether they're stressed out or not or whether they're having a good day or not. So this is where as a coach, it's also important to understand uh, and, and for everyone, and this is something that everyone can understand and, and, and implement immediately, is you don't have to stick to the program exactly how it's written. Uh, that's a guide and we'd like for the program to be met. Uh, all of the pro protocols to be met. But at the same time, if it's not there for the day and we try and force it, this is where, you know, things can break. So having an understanding, and this also takes experience. Uh, you know, as I said, I've been working with people for 20 years. So I've got a very good intuition and, and good understanding of when people are having a good day or not. And I'm using the warm-up sets uh, to be able to, to, to make that call for myself. Uh, when things aren't looking good, uh, it could be a good opportunity to to make a change or to slow it down. If someone's uh, been broken up with by their partner and it's none of your damn business, uh, it doesn't have to be. We can tell by how the weight's moving, how the body's moving. And if you can't tell, you're not a bad person. This does take experience. It does take a lot of time with working with people to understand um, how the individual works. It's not as if we can measure the bar speed and say that every single person needs to be moving at this speed because... Every lifter lifts at different speeds as well. 
Um, so it's it's not as if we can uh, measure it, you know, with, with the the speed of the bar. It's the speed of the bar for that individual, uh, which means we need to be spending enough time with that individual to know how they move, how they react to, to you know, what incremental increases they respond best to with their warm ups. So it's it's a long winded answer, but these are the factors that I consider when it comes to the soft side of, of coaching. So, so to answer the question more simply, become their friend and get to know them. How long does that take? It takes time, right? Uh, so there's there's one part of it. Uh, the second part of it is, is when, when, when all else fails, when you don't understand, when you're not their friend yet, and, and you're not on that personal level where they're willing to, to share these uh, personal thoughts or feelings with you, understand that principle, earn the right to add weight to the bar. It's not just simply, you know, recommending warm-up protocols and, and telling them to go and do it and they have to hit the numbers that's prescribed on the program. It's understanding how that individual moves and how they respond to whatever incremental increases that you're providing. Uh, but once you do, if you follow those two principles, um, you know, becoming their friend and, and earning the right to add weight to the bar, um, you, you're going to go a lot further uh, with, with their long-term progression and also making sure that you don't, you know, make their issues worse. You know, you don't want to injure someone by making them just simply stick to the program. And this is how injuries can occur because nothing's linear. We're not just going to continue getting stronger and stronger every time we come under the bar. So, um, you know, experience is the way that we learn all of those things. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I, I think one of the things, um, <laughs> one of the things that I've kind of, I, I think it's kind of worked in my favor is um, I'm pretty big. I'm like too... 227, 225, or sorry, 125 kilo-ish. One, yeah, something like that. Anyways, and uh, and like I'm all tatted up. And so usually like if, if someone sees me, they're like, oh, intimidating, scary guy or whatever, right? But then I get on and I'm like, almost always people after like the first check-in, people are like, wow, you're like really soft-spoken. You always <laughs> you know, make me feel really good about my training, this, that, and the other. And it's like, and uh, I, so I think that kind of works for me in this sense. But then at the same time, I also try and set that as like an expectation. So, hey, you know, your training doesn't exist in a vacuum. Uh, there's a lot of different inputs. Now, I'm not saying you have to share personal stuff with me. But if you're going through a rough time, just tell me, hey, you know, kind of having a rough time at home or work, whatever. And we can just leave it at that. And then it kind of sets that like, um, like it sets it up in their head like, oh, this is normal. This is how athletes you know, work. And so, you know, I can kind of, it opens up the conversation a little bit more. And so I found that that's kind of helped. Plus just being a little bit more soft-spoken when I'm, when I'm chatting with them instead of like, I think what people expect is they expect you to kind of yell at them a bunch. And exactly like you were saying, expect a lot of rigidity. They expect this really extreme thing when in reality you're like, now let's just do squats today and see how you feel. And then we'll maybe do something else and then go from there, <laughs> you know? And, and man, this is so true. At the highest level, you start to learn that all of these big, intimidating, strong guys aren't really like, yeah, they, they look like that on the outside. And I'm sure if it came down to it, you'd be able to look after yourself extremely well. But I think that's what gives a lot of these big, strong guys the confidence to know that they don't need to to, to be tough on, you know, on, on the outside. And a lot of these guys understand that, that nothing's linear. And, and as you said, you know, you know, being a professional athlete, people look at you and they think it's, it's going to be 100% hardcore. Um, but professional athletes at the highest level understand that there's ups and downs. Uh, and, and that's that's uh, something that a lot of people will learn. Like, 
this is the first time I've ever seen you. I wouldn't have been able to guess that you're 125 kilograms. And, no. and, and yeah, man, you're very gently spoken. But at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of used to that. I've got a lot of uh, super heavyweights that I work with, and they're all super gentle and, and softly spoken. And, and in fact, uh, a lot of the super heavyweights that I deal with, I don't want to say they have the most problems out of all of the lifters that I work with, but they've got a hell of a lot of problems and stresses and, and they needed to be, they need to be treated delicately a, a lot of times, man. You know, it's not just about uh, go hard or go home or, or, or being the tough guy. So it, it's a huge uh, factor that we must consider. And um, yeah, it's, it's a great point. Yeah. Um, so I, I know we are kind of uh, almost coming up on that hour mark. Um, I just wanted to, if you could give the listeners like some of the practical takeaways, just a little bit of a recap with uh, some of the stuff we talked about, a couple of things they can take home from, from this conversation. Sure. So I guess uh, some of the points that I guess have stood with me um, over my uh, career that have led me to the most success was, was I guess we can, we can sum it up with that interview with Alva Mill. Uh, when it comes to coaching athletes at different sports, um, as a strength coach, is to not focus too much on, on teaching them the skill of the sport. That's not our role, um, you know, and, and how should different athletes work towards being good at their craft is by, A, playing the skill like Usain Bolt. He's good at running because he runs a lot and uh, not because of the clean and jerks that he was doing. Um, but, so yeah, train that athlete to, to get there the fastest with the most. How do we do that? Well, I've got my eight-step model. So horizontal push-pull, vertical push-pull, knee-dominant squat, hip-dominant squat, hip extension for posterior chain and knee flexion, you know, 12.5% on each of those, however you want to calculate that because that's not to be done in an individual session. Uh, that's to be done over the long-term plan. Um, you know, have a balanced approach to all your training. So if you want to use equipment, make sure you you, you train 50% of your work unequipped, whether that's a belt or knee wraps as well. Um, you know, and understanding, I guess, that principle, earn the right to add weight to the bar. We don't have to be perfect. We're human beings. Uh, and we aren't perfect, and uh, we're not. We don't progress linearly either. So, so understanding that the program and, and programming is another skill as well. And and this is why I factor in a lot of deloads as well. And it's it's kind of like it's not like a set structure, but uh, you know, it's it's understanding that humans aren't just strong every single time they come into the gym, and no one expects you to be either. So, so I guess uh, those are some of the points that have have uh, helped me a lot in my career. Hopefully, that can help some of the the viewers today. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. So where can people find you? And are you working on any projects or anything like that that you wanted to shout out? For sure. Uh, I, I guess on, on all of my work uh, at Australian Strength Coach, so Instagram is where, where most people can find me. That's the best place. Of course, I've got other email addresses and, and other handles as well. But uh, Instagram, so at Australian Strength Coach, uh, there's a few things that I'm working on. I run online seminars. Uh, for those who, who don't uh, live in Australia. So that's uh, Strength System International Certification. Uh, that's all in my bio, the link tree link in my bio on my Instagram page. And I've also got programming software uh, for personal trainers and coaches uh, that want to write better co uh, programs for their athletes. Uh, and that's something that I've spent a lot of time and money on over the last two years. That's what I have been working on uh, while I've been retired as a powerlifter. Uh, and that's all available through my Linktree link in my bio. Now, this is an all for sales. Uh, in my Linktree link, I've also got a lot of great uh, video tutorials that are for free, a lot of articles 
that are for free. So if you have the time, you don't have to pay me a single cent and you can learn a hell of a lot. If you just go to my Instagram page, at Australian Strength Coach, uh, go to the link tree link in my bio and just go and have an explore. You don't have to pay me a cent uh, and you can learn a hell of a lot. So I hope you guys get some value out of that. Awesome, man. So make sure you go give him a follow. All that stuff's going to be linked up in the show notes. Click on it. Uh, follow him on Instagram. Also, he's got a YouTube that he didn't mention. I'm going to be adding that in there as well. Um, definitely has tons of articles, tons of free content that he puts out on a regular basis. So make sure you go check it out. Sebastian, man, it's it's been great chatting. Thanks so much for jumping on. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel. And uh, hopefully we can do more in the future. Yeah, absolutely.